Amen. Thank you. Uh, David and team, thank you for serving us so uh, brilliantly uh, this morning. Really appreciate your, your ministry. Well, way back, as uh, Lauren said, back at the beginning of the year, uh, we shared part one of a, a new teaching series called Devotement, where we spent four weeks thinking about what it looks like to be a sold-out follower of Jesus. Actually, we could just simply say what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. If you can remember that far back, I mean, I can't even remember what I had for breakfast, so if you can remember back to the beginning of the year, we thought about the need for all followers of Jesus to remember the death of Jesus in communion, as we have done this morning, as we will continue to do on a regular basis. We thought about the call for all followers of Jesus to be worshippers or to join in with worship, to pray regularly, and then fourthly, to think about reading scripture, scripture on a regular basis. And today we carry on with part two of that teaching series, and over the next four weeks we're going to be thinking about the call to serve we're going to be thinking about the call to baptism. I can't wait till next Sunday. I mean, if you get the chance, do come along at 9.15 to cheer on uh, Barbara and her baptism. Stay for 11 as well, otherwise it'll be very quiet at this service, won't it? Um, but then thirdly too, we're, we're going to be thinking about the, the, a covenant commitment that we're called to when we're followers of Jesus as part of a local church. And we're going to be challenged a bit about the call to giving as well. Well, the word, word devotement was a, a word that we made up by fusing together two words, devoted and commitment. We were on a leadership team away day, and we were wrestling with that question, what does a sold-out follower of Jesus look like? Well, they look committed, and they look devoted. And of course, that devotement tangibly shows itself, doesn't it, as we live out these various themes that we have thought about and will think about in the weeks that are ahead of us. I wonder if since the beginning of the year, you've been thinking for yourself, well, what does it look like for me to be a disciple of Jesus who's fully committed, who's sold out? Do you know what I mean? A, a really keen one, not a flip-floppy kind of a follower of Jesus, but one that's like a, a stout, reliable pair of M&S shoes. Do you know the kind I mean? Well, if you're anything like me, you, you probably have a fairly clear or a clearish sense of all the areas in your walk with Jesus where you fall short. Do you know those areas where you may, maybe regularly fall into sin or you get life wrong? And I suspect in all of those areas, maybe even now, you're feeling really guilty about them. We can do that to ourselves, can't we? But don't we praise God for his grace? I love those words that Lawrence shared in communion. Come not because you're strong and you have it all together. I mean, actually, I'd have stayed in my seat if it weren't for the grace of God when it came to taking communion this morning. Come not because you're strong and because you've got it all together, but because God is a God of grace. Many of us will beat ourselves up about the areas where we fail, but I wonder if you can think even of just one area in your Christian walk where you could say today, do you know what? I'm actually doing okay. It's better than it was the day before. In fact, I might even be tempted to say, do you know, today I'm flourishing in that particular area. Well, I'm always uh, inspired and slightly threatened, if I'm honest, by the words of the Apostle Paul whenever they pop up in Scripture. I'm threatened by them because he uses incredibly difficult theological language, which I struggle to understand, but also he makes these really bold statements, which, if I'm honest, sometimes make me feel like I'm not doing very well in my walk of faith. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he makes a statement that to me sounds like the words of a fully sold-out follower of Jesus. Listen to this. He says, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider those things garbage, dog dung is the literal translation. 
I consider those things dog dung that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Well, what a thing to be able to say. Do you know, I would so love to be able to articulate exactly that kind of thing about my own love of Jesus with passion, but to with integrity. But sometimes when I listen to words like that, I feel just a little bit lacking. Maybe you can wrestle with that and identify that with, with that, that sense that you're not quite hitting the mark uh, compared to the Apostle Paul. Do you know, I'd love for my relationship with Jesus to be stronger and more intimate, but do you know, I discovered years and years and years ago that just because you've become converted or you've come into a relationship with Jesus, you become a Christian, it doesn't mean that your walk with Jesus is immediately therefore going to be intimate and it's going to be deep. In my walk of faith, my great plea, and maybe this is your own plea as well, is that I long for something that's deeper, wider, and higher than the experience I'm having today. And do you know, maybe that's a healthy place to be. That sense of, I want something more, and I haven't quite got there, but sometimes too, it can feel really frustrating. I wonder if you've ever read one of those discipleship books. Do you know the ones I mean? Those Christian bestsellers that say to you, well, here's three really simple steps for you to flourish in your walk with Jesus. Step one, step two, and here we go. You're about to arrive. Step three, and now off you go and live this amazing Christian life, and everything will be rosy. Well, although those books are often well-intended, they can become something of a spiritual beat-up. We try it. It works for a few days, and then before we know it, we're back where we are or where we were. Do you know, I can't tell you how grateful I was some months ago to discover this book. It's called The Imperfect Disciple. It's a fantastic book, and the subtitle says this, Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. I wonder if you need it. Well, you can buy a copy from me if you didn't know. I'm joking, I'm not on commission. Grace for People Who Can't Get Their Act Together. It's a discipleship book for normal Christians who often find that their walk with Jesus is more of a wiggly line than it is a straight one. Now, of course, if you really, really want to beat yourself up, compare yourself to other Christians. Do you know the ones I mean? Those other Christians who seem to have it all together, who seem to float through life on an anointing of perfection. They're people like Kay. (laughs) Now, of course, the reality is, is that isn't very real. Things might not appear to be the way that you think they are. And here's the challenge, and I think this is really significant. The challenge is to never compare your inside with somebody else's outside. Never compare your inside with somebody else's outside. And actually, isn't that what we do every day on social media if we're on there? We look at the outside and what the world is curating to present before us, our friends and our family, and then we beat ourselves up because we're looking at the inside of ourselves. Never compare your inside to somebody else's outside. This morning, in all that I've got to say, I want to encourage you to do two things. In fact, these are two good things to do for the rest of our little series, maybe even for the rest of your Christian life. And the first thing is this, is do not compare your service for Jesus to the service of another person. Because if you do that, you'll either feel um, really let down and frustrated and fed up with yourself, or the flip side of the coin is you'll feel really proud about how well you're doing, and that's the deadliest of all sins. Don't compare your service for Jesus to the service that somebody else is offering. And after the first service, someone shared something which I think was really significant. Don't compare the service that you're able to offer today to the service you may have been able to offer in a different season of your life. I think that's really significant. Some of us beat ourselves up because we're not doing today what we were able to do yesterday. Sometimes life takes a turn and 
circumstances become tough and you can't serve in the way you did yesterday, but there are different ways of serving. Really sense some of us need to hear that today. But then secondly, I want to encourage you to be willing to take just one step, maybe even today, take one step in your journey of discipleship, even if, especially if that step is just a really small step today. You know, small steps matter. Lots of small steps get you up the ladder quicker than uh, big steps sometimes will get you up that ladder. And in any case, small steps are often more achievable and sustainable than the really big ones. And in our scripture reading this morning, the message is really clear. The message is, look, live well for Jesus. And Peter would say to us this morning, if you're living well, then you'll be a faithful steward of God's grace, which includes the serving or the service of others. 1 Peter chapter 4 um, is a story of Peter writing to a church that's persecuted, and he essentially has two points. Firstly, he says in verses 1 to 6, stop sinning. It's the message of verses 1 to 6. But then secondly, in verses 7 to 11, he says, start serving. Stop sinning, start serving. When you suffer, don't sin, serve. Don't fall into the sin trap, instead flourish in the service of others. That's what he says. Here's the longer version. I'm going to read it from uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, reading from verse 1. If you've got a Bible, open it up or switch on your Bible so you can see it in context. Peter says, Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever, whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their year, earthly years for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. If you don't know what any of those things are, ask your parents when you get home. They're surprised that you would not join in with them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And then he says, the end of things is all near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to each other without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. And then he ends with an amen. Well, I wonder if you ever find yourself uh, in the queue at Tesco's or maybe down at the doctor's surgery with questions like this. Why am I here? Not why am I at Tesco's or the doctor's. That ought to be uh, self-explanatory. But why did God create me? What's my purpose in life? You know, it was with those thoughts in mind that Augustine, one of the early church fathers who knew all about what it was to wrestle with discontentment, once said this. You formed us for yourselves and our hearts are restless. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. You know, the Bible's conclusive answer to that question, why on earth, why on earth am I here, is very simple. We exist to glorify our awesome and our glorious God. That's why we're here. In our text today, Peter concludes exactly the same thing, saying in verse 11 that one of the ways, just one of the ways we most glorify God and therefore still our restless hearts is by serving others. And in serving others, we're also serving God with the strength that God is wanting to give us. 
Peter's big message is that God doesn't exist for us, we exist for God. And yet, how often do we end up treating God in that kind of a way? Like he's a genie in a bottle who, when I rub that bottle, appears to do my bidding, or the kind of God who actually is the puppet at the end of the strings which I'm controlling. But Peter says you're created by God to glorify God, and if you're going to do that as a follower of Christ, then you must make the choice to live wisely. In those first uh, six verses, Peter describes what unwise living looks like. It's pretty explicit stuff, isn't it? It's self-centered, it's sinful, it's a, a, serving, a self-serving way of life. It's all about me, Jesus, is the song that we could sing to verses one to six. But then in those final four verses, Peter describes a life that's lived for the glory of God. And it's such a contrasting life, isn't it? It looks other person-centered. It looks sacrificial. The song that we sing, it's all about you, Jesus, and all of this is for you. That's verses uh, 7 to 11. Eugene Peterson, in his book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, which, by the way, is a great definition for discipleship, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, writes this. It's not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel, but it's terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there's a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In other words, if we've come to faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then there should be some fruit to prove it. And in our text, Peter is describing at least in part what the fruit of conversion can look like. It looks a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Did you notice that? It looks servant-hearted. It looks sacrificial. More about you, less about me. Well, there's a Scottish uh, church minister called Duncan Campbell who once described what he saw happening as he witnessed an amazing little revival that was happening in the Hebrides. And Campbell used this wonderful phrase that when I heard the audio of this moment, it stuck with me ever since. He said this, hundreds of people are being well saved. Hundreds of people are being well saved. I love that. They weren't just being saved. They weren't just being born again. They were being well saved. They were being well born again. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be well saved, we could say to those verses that David read for us at the beginning of our service. And the challenge for us today from 1 Peter chapter 4 is this, is don't be content to allow your salvation to be in question because of your lifestyle. That's the message of verses 1 to 6. But in verses 7 to 11, he says, instead, think and act in such a way that there can be no question that you're not only saved, but in fact, you are well saved. In verse 3, Peter says to his hearers there, look, you've spent enough time in the past doing what ungodly people do. You've lived a wild and a crazy life. You found yourself longing after evil things. You've gotten drunk and gone to wild parties. You've worshipped statues of other gods. And Peter is saying so simply, God hates that. Perhaps if uh, Peter were writing to the church today, he might say to us, you've spent enough time doing what's wrong. You've lived a promiscuous life engaged in unhealthy relationships. You've indulged in pornography on the web. You've taken banned drugs. You've mistreated your partner. You're in horrendous debt. You've spent hours gossiping and backstabbing others on Facebook. You've been self-centered. You've been materialistic. And the message is still the same. God hates that, Peter would say to us today. 
But Peter in verse 7, which is a bit of a turning point in the Scripture, comes out with a warning that he'd already repeated earlier in his letter. He says, look, the end of things is all near. The end of things is all uh, is near. So keep a clear mind, control yourselves, live a life in the light of the fact that the end is near because such a perspective helps you recognize how so many of the activities we engage in make no eternal difference. Now, I know from my own Christian life that I spend much time, probably too much time, doing things that really are not very effective for the kingdom of God. It's a little bit like arranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's a complete waste of time. And Peter's question in the light of eternity today is this, is when Christ returns, Chris, what will he find you doing? Will he find you sitting back like a couch potato in relaxed in leisure, or will he catch you diligently working, and more importantly than that, living to fulfill his great commandment to love him and to love others? Peter would say to me today, Chris, when Jesus comes back, is he going to find you engaged in his great commission in that delight of seeing others become followers of Jesus too? Chris, will he find you pursuing the greatest priority of seeking first the kingdom of God, or will he find you being lazy and not using the gifts that he's given? Do you remember what Jesus said about in, in the parable of the talents? He said this, don't be slovenly and careless. Just when you don't expect him, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will show up. And he says, you'll be a blessed person if the Master shows up and you are doing your job. Well, you know, I'm very grateful that God in his wisdom doesn't tell me the day I'm going to die. Otherwise, I'd work really hard on the day just before my death. I'm so grateful that I don't know the day when Christ is going to return. Otherwise, I'd slum it until the day Jesus comes back and then I'd start worrying about my journey of faith. But Peter's message here is, look, the Bible urges us to repeatedly live for Christ and be prepared for the moment when we die or for the moment when Jesus returns. The challenge is to make our lives count, and we can do that. One of the ways is by serving others. The constant refrain is that of the Bible is don't just be saved, but we be well saved. But I wonder, what does that life look like? Well, we know what that life doesn't look like, because in verses 2, 3, and 4, Peter tells us what the opposite of a well-saved life looked like. But then he says, look, a well-saved life looks useful and it looks fruitful in the service of others. In a sense here, Peter is being like a, a great spiritual doctor. In this moment, he's giving us a wonderful prescription to help us with our sense of spiritual sickness. He says, if you will adopt these guidelines, if you'll swallow this pill, then you will be ready for Christ. His prescription in verses 7 to 8 is, one, be disciplined in prayer. We spoke about that uh, earlier in this development series in part one. Kay preached a cracking sermon on prayer. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. But then secondly, he says, look, the call is to love others deeply. Thirdly, be hospitable to each other without complaint. And then fourthly, which is kind of a summary of all of that again, he's saying, keep serving one another. I don't want to talk about prayer today. We've done that before. But what I do want to do is just very quickly shine a spotlight on these three other areas that Peter mentions. And they can be summarized under the title of this message today, A Call to Serve. In verse 8, Peter says, love one another deeply. I love that word. Love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, the word that Peter is using here for deeply literally means to be stretched or to strain. 
Elsewhere in Scripture, you'll find this word is used to describe the taut muscles of an athlete as they're straining to win a race and to cross the finish line. Perhaps a good translation of this verse would be to love others with full strength or with maximum effort, holding nothing back and giving it absolutely everything that you've got. That's what it means to love deeply. And loving deeply takes effort and it takes a conscious decision of the will. And sometimes it hurts. It really hurts. Peter is calling the church in his day, and I sense God would say to us today, look, CBC, will you love each other without reservation, hesitation, deviation, or qualification? Do you know, in the past seven days, we've seen what it looks like to love people deeply in the life of this church, and it hurts. It hurt a lot. We've been together as we've mostly cried and sometimes laughed through tears. As we remembered Linda's passing, it hurt. We've been together on three Zoom calls as we've continued to pray for the healing of baby Grace, and it hurt. But we've seen what it is to love deeply, and when you've experienced deep love in a, in a church community, you know that you've got brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're part of a church that's not just saved, it's a well-saved church. And I want to thank you this morning for being part of that journey in our church family. In Scripture, we're called to love each other deeply. But then secondly, the next instruction that Peter gives to prepare us for the end, be that our death or the coming of Jesus, is to be hospitable and uncomplaining. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Wow, this is a challenging, challenging thing to call us to, isn't it, in our world today? We live in a me-centered, selfie society, and it's incredibly hard to be selfless in a selfish world. And Peter is saying, look, be selfless, and whilst you're at it, don't whinge and moan about it. Now, we need to be really careful, because if we're not careful, we can be so selfless that actually we do ourselves no favors, and we hurt ourselves, and then we're of no earthly use to serve others. We have to be concerned about our own well-being, but actually we're called to be selfless and we're called to do it without moaning and whinging about it. This isn't just a command, is it, to to be nice and to kind of put up with others, but this is a, a radical call to proactively invite others into our sphere, to invite others into the spaces that we inhabit. And you know, I think that's a great definition of hospitality, inviting another person into your space, wherever that might be. It might be your home. It could be a walk with the dog, a cafe. It might be on your round of golf. No, George, I don't want to play golf with you. Thanks for the kind offer. Stupid game. (laughs) Maybe the invitation for somebody to come into our space is to join us in an activity that you help in here in the life of the church, one of our missions or our ministries. And, you know, sometimes, oftentimes, that kind of hospitality takes sacrifice and it's not all, always convenient. During times of persecution, which is what Peter is speaking into here, hospitality, of course, was welcomed by Christians who were forced to flee their homes and move to new areas. And these Christians experienced the hospitality of others as they welcomed these folk into their space with food and lodging and just basically being friendly to a stranger. In a way, hospitality is just a really practical example of Peter's previous command of loving others deeply. It's a practical way of serving one another. And you know, as a church, we have lost a master 
of hospitality, a master of hospitality. This week, I've been reading the various messages that have appeared on CBC's Facebook posts as we shared the news of Linda's passing. She was a wonderful woman, wonderful with the children, to us mums too, in parents and toddlers. I remember many conversations with her. Linda was a wonderful lady, and her and her family cared for me in so many ways when I was at Christchurch, including doing my washing. I never knew that. I'd have booked my own washing in. Linda was patient with my lively son at toddler group 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Somebody still remembers the hospitality of Linda, and somebody commented to that post, I remember her too. People have got long memories when people serve them well. She was such a welcoming face when we attended the toddler group, always happy and so wonderful with the children. Linda was always there to help me when all else failed. She was a lovely lady, always made us feel very welcome at Stepping Stones. Linda was a lovely lady that Freddie and I got to know through toddlers. The serving hospitable life is an impactful life. It's an impactful life, and I want to encourage you with that today. Do you know, I can't tell you how many times Linda used to tell me that she felt she wasn't very effective or that she was useless in a particular area. You were not, Linda. Your hospitable life was an impactful life. It was a life that Jesus has used for his kingdom plans. I wonder why Peter, when he said all this, said, do it without grumbling and murmuring. Well, some things never change, do they? How often in preparation to offer hospitality to somebody else has it been done begrudgingly? How often when people have left, have you said, oh, look at the mess they left? Peter says, offer hospitality without complaining. Because serving with hospitality is impactful for the kingdom of God. And then thirdly, Peter says, and with this I finish, he says, serve generously. God says to us here through the text, look, I've blessed you with amazing gifts. And your task, your challenge in verses 10 and 11 is to use that spiritual giftedness and all your God-given talents for his glory. He says, as each one of you has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In other words, be generous with the different gifts that God has given to you. Spread them around because other people will be blessed by that, especially in your words and especially in your serving. Why should we do all this? Well, verse 11 at the end, Peter ends with a sentence which reveals the reason why we should follow his instruction to live wisely. He says, do all this so in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Why be earnest and disciplined in prayer? Well, because when you are, God is glorified. Why love others as if your very life depends upon it? Because God is glorified. Why be hospitable and do it without moaning and whinging? Because when you do, God is glorified. Why serve as a good steward, using the gifts that God has blessed you with? Because when you do, God is glorified, even if you'll never know it. Why should we live wisely? Why Pursue a life which is holy, because when you do, God is glorified. Why should we not just be saved, but be well saved? Because the well saved life is a life that gives glory to a glorious God. Can I encourage you today? One small step that you'll flourish even more in your walk with Jesus. Can I encourage you today? Don't compare your life 
and your service to the service of another person. Please don't compare your service to the service you used to offer. Offer yourself today because your life lived well is an impactful life for the kingdom of God. Can we pray? This really uh, sense this morning that there's, there's, there's one, one thing, perhaps just one thing from too many words, just a few words that maybe when they're strung together this morning is God's word, it's God's challenge for you today. Maybe you've been doing that thing of comparing yourself to others looking at somebody's outside curated life whilst you beat yourself up about your inside, would you know today the grace of God is sufficient for you? Maybe today you've been trying to live your Christian life a bit like that ladder image, a series of massive steps that are just too big and unsustainable in truth. Would you take a small step today? I to encourage you today not to compare your life or your service to that of Linda, but would you be inspired by what people are saying even 30 years after they encountered her? What a legacy. What a legacy. And Lord, our longing is that that would be true of our lives, that we'd live our Christian lives in such a way that, Lord, you would be glorified even when we're gone. Lord, when we're tempted to beat ourselves up for those areas where we're not doing so well, Lord, we pray for your strength and we receive your grace. And Lord, I thank you that for each of us, I'm sure there are areas where actually we're doing okay. We're really doing okay in this Christian walk. Lord, would you encourage us and would you help us to be even more effective in those areas? Lord, a bunch of imperfect disciples blundering our way through this Christian journey. seeking to love each other deeply, seeking to be generous in hospitality, seeking to serve and care for one another. Lord, when that's empowered by your spirit, oh, who we could be. Lord, this morning we want to say to you that we love you and we offer ourselves afresh. Continue the good work that you have begun in our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. I just wonder as we remain seated, let's sing together. Um, Let's sing out that little chorus. I love you, Lord.
and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Let's stay seated as we sing. something of our love for you. We pray that you would grow that love. We pray that in the things that we do this week, Lord, that we would be seen to be people of you and that we would in our lives, that we would crown you as Lord of life, as Lord of love, as Lord of the years. Let's sing together. Let's stand and sing as we're able. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Oh. 